One of the things I love about spring and I love about summer is that I have a grapevine uh, at our place and over winter, I don't know if you have grapevines, but mine is pretty spindly. It's just this vine with a few branches and it looks pretty ragged and uh, we come into spring and then all of a sudden, bang, these green leaves are there and I'm going, great, the greats are coming. And uh, so I watch with great anticipation um, as these little buds come and then these branches grow. And then from the branches, these fruit follicles come. And then I watch with great interest with these follicles that turn into these little grapes about the size of a pinhead. And then I'm just watching over the weeks, almost every day, how big are they are now. And I get into summer around probably late January, and I see these grapes, they're fully formed now, as a little tinge of purple on them. And then I give it another two or three weeks, and I've got these beautiful grapes. Big, fat, delicious, yummy grapes. Can't wait for them. I'm so looking forward to February when I harvest my grapes. Who else has grapevines? Aren't they good? It's just such a great thing. And so I'm looking forward to getting the secateurs out, cutting those off, putting it into the, um, a bowl in the kitchen table. I'm going, great, enjoying these wonderful grapes. But this one, it gets really, really good. So I get my nice wooden plate with some crackers, with some camembert cheese, with some blue vein cheese. Yeah, blue vein, beautiful. I get the grapes and I slice them up, set it out beautifully, Get some honeycomb from the beehive, put that on the plate as well. Get some uh, more blue vein cheese, some walnuts this time. I tell you, it's just, oh, the anticipation. My mouth is watering already. And so I put it out there on the, um, the picnic table, get a drink, and then I ask Wendy to join me. Oh, it's just beautiful. Loving the food with the one I love. I mean, it's just... Just such a beautiful thing, isn't it? I hope your mouths are watering right now. I feel like eating some grapes. But I, I can't wait with the anticipation of seeing these little buds. And what was an old spindly vine burst forth with these branches and leaves and, and these grapes are going to form. And I just love this whole picture of the trunk as it draws water and sap up through the vine, into the branches, into the fruit and producing these wonderful grapes. Um, of course, one of the things that happens that really frustrates me around February, if I'm not to my grapes really quickly, the birds are. And so I open up my um, under the leaves, and then I see all these little holes in my beautiful grapes, and I'm going, this is just not fair. So what I've done this year, I've purchased my netting to go over the grapes, so um, when they are ripe, or even before that time, I'm going to put my netting in place so the, beard, the birds won't get to them. So I'm going to have these wonderful grapes to do these wonderful things on Saturday morning by setting out this wonderful, wonderful thing with crackers and all that sort of thing. But the things with, with having a predator, or like a bird attack grapes, is something that is, in terms of um, harvesting grapes, is something that's been right, done right now in the Middle East. Grapes have been harvested right at this very moment. Um, and they have a problem with birds as well, but not only do they have a problem with birds, they have a problem with little foxes. So a little fox, who's ever seen a little fox? They look really cute, don't they? They're, they're about sort of that long and about that high, and they've got, you know, they just look beautiful. They're, they're so cute. You think they could never do anything wrong. 
I mean, these beautiful, cute little foxes. But guess what they do? They cause lots and lots of trouble in vineyards. One of the things they do, they, they dig. They like to do dig dens. And so they can dig and disrupt the root system of vines and wipe out whole vines. The other things that little foxes really like eating is when the grapes are first forming, in that very, very early stages of their formation, the foxes love eating those baby grapes. And of course, they love eating mature grapes. And so here is this anticipation. Here is all this promise of all these wonderful grapes that is going to be harvested and this anticipation. And then these little furry, beautiful animals wreck the whole lot. And so as you can imagine, it would be pretty distressing for the owner of a vineyard to find out that it wasn't um, thieves, it wasn't a natural disaster like a big storm, but it was these little, little foxes that looked so cute, that looked so beautiful, that wrecked the harvest of fruit. And so in the Song of Solomon, King Solomon, who wrote the Book of Solomon, tells a story about watching out for these little foxes that get in the way and spoil the vine. And so we're going to have a look in, in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. And so there's a number of main characters. First of all, there's the king, the lover, King Solomon, who writes it. Solomon wrote over 3,000 proverbs and 100, sorry, 1,005 songs. And the Song of Solomon, it says in, in chapter 1, verse 1, this is his best. This is the song that he loved most and that people appreciated most. And so it's a story. We've got the king. We've got the lover. Uh, she's a Shulamite woman. That means she's from the, the village of Shulaman in the north of Israel. And she's a poor woman. How do we know that she's a poor woman? Because as we read uh, through the opening um, chapters, she says, I'm dark. I've been darkened by the sun. I'm having to work in the vineyard. And she doesn't see herself as very beautiful. She doesn't see herself as very pretty. And yet here's the king who's absolutely enraptured and loves her. And then there's the daughters of Jerusalem that are the girls that are supporting um, the woman and of course also her brothers making sure that the king treats her well. And so it goes through the story of their courtship, their wedding and their marriage. And it's a beautiful story about relationships but it's a beautiful story about how Jesus loves his church and wants her to grow and be prosperous and fruitful. And so <clears throat> this morning I want to have a look at Guarding against these little things that limit our fruitfulness. We all enjoy eating grapes, don't we? We want to live full and prosperous lives. You do? Are you sure? You want to look at, live a life that when you look back over and go, that was fruitful. I've really enjoyed my life. I've enjoyed the quality of my relationships. I've enjoyed my family, my work. Most of all, I've enjoyed my relationship with the Lord. That fruitfulness doesn't happen by accident. And for that fruitfulness to happen, we need to be aware of these things called the little foxes, those little small things that get into our lives or our relationships that trip them up and diminish the fruitfulness that God has for us. And guess what when those little foxes, when do they come out? They come out as the fruit is blossoming, as the fruit's about to burst forth, those little foxes turn up. So it can be... Take for, this has got wide application. You're just doing a new business venture. And it's about to blossom. And all of a sudden, all this criticism comes in. You're going out with your girlfriend. You're having a great time with her. Then, bang, these little things pop up. 
Or it could be some, a family relationship. These things are going really well and bang, they come out. These little foxes that try and diminish and destroy the fruitfulness that God has intended for the relationships or for whatever it is that we're involved in. And so if we can identify the little foxes and deal to them, guess what's going to happen? The fruit's going to come, and we're going to be able to sit around the picnic table with cheese and crackers and lots of grapes and honey and some fine drink and fine company and go, wasn't that a great journey with enjoying the harvest? Who wants to be in that place? Yeah, we all do. And do you know, as, as I think this is particularly uh, pertinent when you look at us in, in terms of where the whole thing with the campus and the one site where that's all going, it's just blossoming out. So we have to watch the little foxes that could try and come and diminish and hinder the fruitfulness that God has for us. So let's turn in our Bibles to Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. It's a great, great... Um, book of the Bible, it really, really is. In fact, it's one of the, the hottest books in the Bible, if I can say it that way. Okay. How do you like this in Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3? Kiss me and kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine. How pleasing is your fragrance. Your name is like the spreading fragrance um, of scented oils. Isn't that amazing? So, <clears throat> how about the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 15 and 16? How beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. And then the young woman responds, you are so handsome, my love. Pleasing beyond words. Wow, isn't that pretty cool? Who would like to hear that every night, men? That'd be all right. I see your hand, Rob. Yeah. So it's a story of, of love, it's a story of marriage, and, and so on and so forth. And this is how it ends, and I think it's important to note this is the outcome that Solomon is saying about relationships, relationships with one another, with our uh, husbands, our wives, relationships with the Lord. In Song of Solomon chapter 8, verses 6 to 7, it says, Place me like a seal over your heart, seal like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, its jealousy is as enduring as the grave. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown it. If a man tried to buy love with all his wealth, his offering would be utterly scorned. But love, the quality of relationships and them being all at their fruitfulness with our partners, with our families, with all that the Lord has for us in the church, there is a threat to them. And it's these little foxes, these little things that can come in and destroy the fruit, destroy the vine, destroy relationships. And so in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, it says this, Catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love, for the grapevines are blossoming. We could say it like this. A, a, a grapevine represents a relationship between a man and a woman. It represents an opportunity. It represents a lot of the relationship between Jesus and his church. 
Those relationships don't happen by accident, and they are vulnerable to attack. And if you don't guard against them, the fruitfulness that can come from those relationships will be lost. So if you're intentional going, yes, they can be attacked, what are they attacked by? Little foxes representing little words, little thoughts, little attitudes that diminish the prosperity that God wants for them. If we become effective at identifying those foxes, identifying those little things, and removing them, then the relationships are going to flourish. They're going to prosper, and Jesus is going to be glorified for it. And I think that's going to be a good thing. So here's the thing about foxes. As I said, they're very cute. Uh, they, they look nice. They look as though they couldn't do any damage. I mean, how could something so cute, so lovely, cause any problems in a grapevine? They, they don't hunt in packs, generally. They dig holes in the ground, and they come out at night, generally by themselves, to gnaw away at the grapes or the, the very um, embryonic form of the grapes. And so they're destroying um, the crops. And so this morning, I would like us to look at um, three areas of little foxes. Three areas. There's many. There's many. But the three, three areas I would like to look at this morning um, is the fox of telling lies. Who's ever told a lie? Don't put your hand up. <laughs> it's a little fox that can destroy relationships. Then the other one is the lack of commitment. Diminishing commitment one to another. And then the other is jealousy or envy. And so we're going to have a look at those three. There are many more. There could be cynicism. There could be unforgiveness. Lots of little things that just creep in with a thought, with an attitude, and before you know it, the quality of relationship is diminished. And Jesus is inviting us, hey, identify those things, deal with those things, and you will be fruitful and enjoy the fruit, enjoy the grapes around that wonderful table. So, let's talk about lies. There's a, there's a wonderful story of a pastor who is in the States, and he's, been, he's moving to a new church. And he goes to town, he jumps on the bus, and he pays his money, and he's been given some change. He's been given 25 cents change. And um, he realizes that he's been given too much. So as he's sitting down, he goes, what shall I do about it? It's really neither here nor there. It's not a lot of money. Nobody knows. The bus company doesn't need it. Why should I even worry about it? So he's mulling over this very, very little thing, over 25 cents. But as he gets off the bus, he decides he better go and sort it out. So he goes up to the bus driver, hands over the 25 cents and said, look, you've, you've given me too much change. And the bus driver said, oh, I'm pleased you gave that to me. I purposely gave you too much change. I know you're the new pastor, and I'm a member of your church. <laughs> How's that, eh? How's that? So just a little, little thing, 25 cents. He could have just pushed it away. But what would have happened in that church if that pastor gets up and starts talking about integrity with money and finances? That member of the church is going, well, it's one thing to say it. I don't see you doing it. And so those little things can just spur on and multiply. So he nipped that little fox in the bud and acted honestly. Do you know, researchers say, I'm sure this doesn't apply to anyone here, that the average person 
um, tells 6.9 lies a day. Now, I find that very hard to believe, and I'm sure that's not the case here. But of course, when, when Wendy asked me, how do I look in the morning? Does this look fantastic? And of course, she does. I've got to be very careful. She looks much better than what she thinks she does. And um, so telling the truth and those compromises can put us in some tricky places at times. And I better not talk too much about that because otherwise I'm going to get myself in a hole. I can feel it right now. So I'm going to climb myself out and go, we're just going to move right along. But this is what researchers have found out about people who stretch the truth. Men and women lie for different reasons. Men and women lie in equal amounts, they say, but for different reasons. Men tend to lie to make themselves look better, while women tend to lie to make the other person feel better and more comfortable in the conversation. Isn't that interesting? So there's a story about lying in uh, 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 15 to 20. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go there. 1 Kings chapter 13, verses 15 to 20. And it's the story of a man who's on a mission from God. And he does his mission for God, but there's a clear instruction in the way how he does his mission. And this is what the instructions are. He says, go and do your mission, do the work I've told you to do, but as you do your work, this is what you must not do. You must not eat and you must not drink while you're on this mission. As soon as you've done it, go and do it, and come back home. And so the prophet said, yeah, that's all cool. Who's ever found that when you're told not to do something, you just get drawn to that thing like a magnet? I remember hearing a story of a, of a man, who some kids were playing um, in his backyard, and said, look, I'll give you some chocolate, but just make sure you don't spit on that plant. If you don't spit on that plant, I'll give you some chocolate. Well, guess what happens? He goes inside. It doesn't even take 10 minutes. And those boys are spitting on that plant. I don't know what it is. When you're told you can't do something, we're just drawn to it, aren't we? It's part of the fallen nature, the sin nature. Anyway, so this prophet, God tells him, do your assignment, but you're not to eat and you're not to drink. So this man of God does his work, and he's heading back home. And this older prophet hears about what, ha- what has happened and says, well, I would like to catch up with him and hear his story. Um, and so let's pick it up from 1 Kings chapter 13, verses 15 to 20. Or verse 16 we'll start. And then the man of God said, come home with me and eat some food. No, I cannot. He replied, I'm not allowed to eat or drink anything here in this place. For the Lord gave me this command. You must not eat or drink anything while you're there. And do not return to Judah by the same way you came. So there's the clear instruction. Don't eat, don't drink, and don't travel home by the way you came. But the old prophet said, I'm a prophet too. This happens in church. This is hard to believe, isn't it? I'm a prophet too, just as you are. And an angel gave this command from the Lord. Bring him home with you so he can have something to eat and drink. But the old man was lying to him, which is a very interesting thing. Why would he be lying? Does he want to talk about what God's doing in his life? Does he want to hear about what happened? Who, who knows? So they went back together, and then the man of God ate and drank at the prophet's home. 
And while they were sitting at the table, I'm sure they weren't eating grapes and cheese at this particular table, but while they were sitting at the table, a command from the Lord came to the old prophet, and this is what he said. He cried out to the man of God from Judah, This is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord, and you have disobeyed the command of the Lord your God gave you. You came back to this place and ate and drank when I told you not to eat and drink. Because of this, your body will not be buried in the graves of your ancestors. And I'm going, that is really rough. That is really rough. The Lord said, do the assignment, now don't eat and drink. This old prophet, he makes up this lie. And angels come to me, I've got the command of the Lord, you can eat and drink. And so the young guy goes, okay, well if the old guy says I can old prophet I better sit down and eat and drink and then the old prophet gets this message you were told not to eat and drink and go and, and you won't have a, a place to be buried he goes home and he gets killed by lions and so isn't it amazing the fruit of a lie that was brought into by the young prophet so not only is it telling lies that is destructive it is actually the impact of believing them that is destructive and both of those are little foxes. In fact, in this case, they were a big, ginormous black wolf. And so just as dangerous to tell them as it is to believe them. So what lies are you believing today that you shouldn't be? What lies do you accept that God has never said for you? These little foxes, these little lies that become things that become the default I'm not good enough. God wouldn't want to use me. He would want to use somebody else. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too this. I'm too that. It's a lie. God says you're wonderfully and fearfully made, created in my image. The fruit of all of that will bring good to your life. The fruit of diminishing and believing a lie will reduce and diminish your life. God says buy into the truth. Buy it, take hold of it, drink it, eat it for the fruitfulness to come through it. And so it's a very strong thing, the impact of what lies do, either telling them or believing them. There's another dramatic story in Acts chapter 5. And I'm, I'm not trying to give you a hard time when I read this. When I read it at the 9 a.m., everybody went, oh, so please don't do that to me. But um, <clears throat> Acts chapter 5 is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And they uh, own some property, and they decide to sell it and bring the money from um, the property to the apostles' feet. Let's say the property was worth $100,000. I don't know. We'll just call it $100,000. They decided we're going to keep $50,000 in our back pocket, which is fine. But when they present it to the apostles, they say, we've brought the whole value of the property to you. In other words, they didn't tell them withheld back 50k. And there's no problem with that. No problem at all. But they told this lie that they've given it all. Dramatic, dramatic consequences. So in Acts 5 verse 2, he brought part of the money to the apostles claiming, here's the thing, here's the lie, claiming it was the full amount, the full amount. with his wife's consent. He kept the rest. Then Peter said, and there's nothing wrong with keeping some back, but it's the lie that was told. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you've kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. 
And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell on the floor and died. Isn't that dramatic? It's a bad day in the office. Going, I want to put a bit, a bit of money in the back pocket. I'll, I'll tell a little lie. Uh, it'll be fine. We'll get through and then we'll go and have a cruise around the islands afterwards. Hey, that's fine. What's wrong with that? That's good. But he died. Then some men, young men got up and wrapped him in a sheet and took him out to be buried. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, what was the price you paid for in uh, your husband received from the land? I do wonder why Peter didn't go, there's a bit of a problem here. Um, if you tell us the truth, you'll be okay. But no, there's none of that. It's just straight into... His wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, what was the price you and your husband received for the land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly she fell to the floor and died. Wow. Verse 11, great fear gripped the entire church. Of course it would. And everyone else who heard what had happened. I would be pretty afraid as well. I'd be making sure, yes, you can see all my financial transactions. No secrets here. No secret money in the back pocket. No secret trips. The price of a lie. Wow. It diminished the relationship. It cost their lives. My son, uh, when he first started his apprenticeship as a, um, a mechanic, um, an auto electrician, was working in a business, very good business, and I went in there one day, caught up with him, and uh, I was liaising with one of the other staff members as well. Uh, and I just, I had this instant impression, don't trust what he says. Now, I didn't make that, it just came to me, bang, just like that, don't trust what he says. And so when Tom came home that evening, and we were having a bit of a chat how the day work, and I said, I just need to ask you something. Is this man here, is he honest with the customers about the work that he does? And he said, oh, oh, sometimes. So does he say jobs take longer than what they actually do and some work that needs to be done that actually doesn't? Yes, yeah, sometimes. So I said to my son, make sure you never do that. Always be honest. Just say it as it is. Be straight up. Don't play with a little fox of dishonesty. Because it comes around as a bigger fox with disastrous um, impacts. So what about the next one? Envy. Who's ever felt envy in Megan's uh, wedding? Which is great, wonderful celebration. It's great to see there's a couple in love and they're married and, and the future and the prosperity that God has for them. Wonderful stuff. But then I read an article a couple of days later or a couple of weeks later. Uh, I had a picture of this um, 50 room mansion and a read something like this, uh, the Queen has given as a wedding present um, Harry and Meghan this mansion. I thought, that's great. That's great. What about me? Where's my mansion, Queen Elizabeth? I'd like one, thank you very much. And by the way, there was a jag thrown in as well. I was a little bit envious. I kid you, and, I, and this is, this is a, the honest truth. I'm not lying. <laughs> I said, Lord, I'm surprised at my reaction. There was something in here that I didn't know was there. Well, not in this particular way. And when I read it, it raised up. 
I said, Lord, I want to do something about that. So I prayed and, and prayed blessing over them and that God would prosper them. But you know when God reveals things in our heart, those little attitudes, those little foxes, he's bringing them up and saying, hey, Ray, hey, Jack, hey, Mary, there's something here, a little fox that will destroy fruitfulness in your life if you don't deal with it. Let's deal with it together. Let's come get that thing sorted out. So something like that comes up again. You go, I'm not jealous. I'm actually going to celebrate with them and go good on them. Praise God they've got that lovely house. May they entertain many people. And yes, I'd be part of that party if they have grapes and crackers. Yes, yes, we'd be part of that, wouldn't we? We can eat grapes with them. So on that line, let's, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. So verse 25, Galatians 5, verse 25, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoking one another or be jealous of one another. Now when the, the sap, the, the water is flowing through the vine and into the branches and into the fruit, it's a picture of the Holy Spirit that flows through Jesus into us as church, and into the fruit of the Spirit that God is wanting to see released in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, um, self-control. Those things, that's what Jesus is doing in our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit flowing in and amongst us. Amen? And those little foxes of lion, and as it says here, that little fox of jealousy. I wish I was like that person. I wish I had what they had. I wish I could do what they did. And it doesn't build the fruitfulness that God wants us to have. Amen? It's a little fox that needs to be crushed on. And do you know one of the things I've discovered and observed about envy or jealousy? When you look at somebody or something and go, I want this and I want that, and I get consumed about desiring or wanting that thing, what I'm really doing is shutting off the flow of God's goodness into my life for what God has for me. I'm diminishing the capacity of my spirit to receive the goodness from God because I'm going, that's where my goodness is. If I have that, I'm looking to that thing rather than looking to Jesus as the source to bring goodness and life into me. And so it's very important, church, when you start to look at other things and go, I want this and I want that and I want this, our attention is in the wrong place. Turn it around 180 and go, my attention is on Jesus fully, totally, and completely on Him. And through His Spirit, then His life flows. And so when I see people doing really well, God bless you. I rejoice with you. I am so pleased to see you doing so well. I'm so pleased you got a great job. I'm so pleased you've done well in your exams. I'm so pleased um, you've done well in that athletic event or whatever it might be. I'm rejoicing with them and I'm celebrating with them. And that enhances the quality of relationships. Isn't it wonderful when somebody challenges you and you go, Ray, you're so good at table tennis. I won't say anything more about that. <laughs> but it's lovely. It's absolutely lovely to champion with Luke as he leads and grows as a worship leader. 
isn't it? Absolutely rejoicing with him. Rejoicing with, with others in their work, achieving, coming along and going, I'm so pleased to see you doing so, so well. You know what it does? It enlarges people's capacity to grow and develop. It's really interesting at home we, we, when we celebrate birthdays, we have a green book which we pull out um, somewhere along the birthday evening and everybody in the family shares something that they like or honour um, with each family member. And it's a wonderful thing to do. Uh, we've got just truckloads of records there now and it's, just, it's a very treasured book for our family. And it just shows you the power of little words. My youngest son said to me, when his birthday has just been, he said, Dad, um, I was just thinking the other day on the farm, you used to say to me often, and I had completely forgotten this, he say, I used to say to him, as I used to take him to school, be bold and be a champion. And he says, when I'm walking around the farm, I think about those words. Be bold and be a champion. And I had completely forgotten them. But those words, those little words uplifting him and encouraging him. The little words that we share with one another to lift and encourage and set people free to be all that God has called them to be. It's got to be a good thing. So there's lies, there's jealousy. The final one I want to touch on is lack of commitment. Lack of commitment. There was a, a dad sitting around the evening table with his son, and his son was you know, enjoying their, their evening meal of steak and eggs. And the son said, Dad, we're, we're learning about contribution and commitment at school, and I don't really understand what it is. What do you think it is? And his dad pondered on it, and he said, Well, look at what you're eating. He said, The, egg, the hen made a contribution with eggs, but the bull gave its life. That's commitment. And so to be fruitful and to deal to little foxes takes commitment. It's saying, I'm in there for the full story. I'm in there for the long haul. I'm in there for whatever it takes to go and to be there at the end. And when I, I'm looking forward to it, I'm old and, well, that's a long way away, isn't it, Wendy? are still having grapes and crackers around the, the table. But here's a story about commitment. And one of the things we live in a, a society, I think, is pretty complacent. She'll be right. If you want to, fine. If you don't, well, that doesn't really matter. But just imagine if the church rose up and said, I'm fully committed to the cause of Jesus. I'm fully committed to the cause of winning souls for him. I'm fully committed to the cause of making disciples. I'm fully committed to be in union with the Holy Spirit. I'm fully committed to, Jesus, here I am. You're the center of it all. You're the center of all of me. That's what I want, and I'm committed to that. I know it's not going to be easy. I know it's going to be challenging, but that's how I want to live. What a difference our society would be if the church said, yes, that's where we're going, that's how we're going to be. So here's another story in 2 Kings chapter 13. It's a story of Elijah as he is about to, or just before he dies, and he's talking with King Jehoash, um, and he's visiting him, and 
he's encouraging him, but he said, look, there's, there's trouble on the way. There's going to be warfare against Israel, and I want to help you. And this is what Elijah says in verse 14 of 2 Kings 13. When Elijah was in his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, I see chariots and charioteers of Israel, he cried. So there's trouble. There's wars brewing. Elijah told him, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. Uh, Elijah told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elijah laid his hand um, on the king's hand. Then he commanded, open the eastern window, and he opened it. And then he said, shoot, and he shot an arrow. This is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram, and you will completely conquer the Aramites. Then he said to him, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. But the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he explains. Now you would have beaten Aram completely. Now the victory will be only three times. And to me, it's a picture of here's an opportunity, but because of fear, maybe because of not seeing all the opportunity before him, Elijah was expecting the king to take those arrows and beat the ground strongly and firmly for five, six, maybe seven times. But because of complacency, because of, hey, I'm not really that committed, he withdrew. He never gave it all. And so the fruitfulness of his life was diminished through lack of commitment, lack of contribution, saying, I'm going to give it all. I'm going to do everything I can to see this through. And so these three things about the foxes of lions, of lying, the little fox of jealousy, the little fox of lack of commitment or contribution brings me right into John 15 where Pastor Sheridan has been teaching from. And I'm going to end with this. So in John 15 verse 4 it says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. What Jesus is saying, what are you going to agree with? Are you going to agree with me? Are you going to commit to me and living a life connected to me? The true living life, the vine, the branches connected together. That's what Jesus is really asking. Are you going to be part of this vine, part of my church, part of what I'm calling to you through thick and thin? thin. Are you going to be absolutely committed to it? Remain in me. Jesus saying, commit and align with me. Be fully committed to it. Then in verse um, 7 of, verse, of John 15, But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. I love this picture of the vine. Here's the vine coming out of the ground, the branches, and the fruit. And as the sap, the, the water flows through the vine, into the branches, and into the, fruit, into the fruit. It's a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit flowing through Jesus, the Word of life and the Spirit together forming His fruit in our lives. And when we're yielded to the Holy Spirit, when we're yielded to what He's saying, He activates the Word. And that activation illuminates truth in our hearts that changes us, that transforms us, that allows the fruit that God wants uh, to be produced in our lives. And then finally, Jesus goes on and says in verse 9, 
I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. And so the antidote to jealousy is the love of God. Loving him and loving others. The antidote to every little fox is Jesus. It's Jesus. These foxes take all different forms, all different disguises. It can be cynicism. It can be lying. It can be jealousy. Um, it can be unforgiveness. There is really no limit to those little foxes. But there's one thing that can kill them. One thing. When Jesus is the center of our hearts, when we look to him, he magnifies and all those little things get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. The more I look to him, the smaller those things become. The more I look to him, the less I'm drawn to other things, be it through jealousy. The more I look to him and his truth, the less lies are going to have on me. The more I look to him and see his commitment on the cross that he died for me, the greater my commitment is to him. So looking to him, it's all about looking to him. Those little foxes, that's how you take care of them. If you focus all your attention, it's like those little kids, don't spit on the flower, don't lie, don't do this, don't do that. And there's merit in that, but it's not the victory's not won in that. The victory's found in looking to Jesus. Looking to him. Being part of his vine. Knowing that he absolutely loves and adores us. And those little foxes, as they are dealt with, that fruit grows and grows and grows and grows. And people go, I just love being around you. I just love being around Activate Church. When I come into this place, I feel such a great sense of belonging. I feel a great sense of courage. I feel a great sense of kingdom focus, of being purposed and being big hearted. Because that's the fruit that God is producing in us. And it doesn't happen by accident. There's little foxes that need to be taken care of. But if we're vigilant about them and vigilant on our, uh, our focus to Jesus, and when is it most critical to do this? It's when the grapevine is in its early stage of blossom. In the very early stages, the foxes love the little grapes just as they're forming. Yes, they love the mature grapes, but just as they're forming, better new opportunity. The campus, it's just, it's blossoming. You've got to watch the little foxes. It will try and come and nibble away at things. Maybe it's a work opportunity. Watch the little foxes. Those little things, jealousy, lying, lack of commitment, all sorts of things, unforgiveness. But if we put our focus on Jesus, the fruitfulness that comes out of that, we can all sit around the table and enjoy those grapes, camembert cheese, some crackers. Beautiful. In fact, I'm going to bring in some grapes in February. Yeah, I don't know if I'll have enough, but I'll bring in some. And so can I encourage you, church, let's be a church that keep our eyes focused on Jesus. We're connected to Him. And conscious of those little foxes the fruitfulness that God has for us 
There'll be no limit to it. It'll be rather marvellous. Amen? Amen.